But hopefully, when it comes to the topic of evangelism, it hasn't gone that far, right? Pastor Andy brought it up. I'm going to share some of my struggles with this as well. But when it comes to the topic of evangelism, there's usually some discomfort. There are some people who are maybe a little more naturally gifted to sharing their faith. But if you're like me, that's definitely not your skill set. I remember I grew up going to a youth group where they would have street evangelism nights. I, I always, I was the kid that considered himself lucky when he missed those nights. Because they would train us, they, they, we would go through the, the Ray Comfort and Kirk Cameron evangelism training videos that they had, and it was something that you'd approach someone on the street, and it, was, it followed the lines of, do you consider yourself a good person? And they'd say, well, yeah, yeah, kind of, I guess I would say I'm, I'm generally good. And then you'd kind of jump on them and go, did you know the Bible says only God is good? And they're kind of like, oh, I didn't know that. And then you go, like, have you ever told a white lie? before and they're like yeah I've told like maybe one or two and you're like did you know that the Bible says that if you fail in one of these things you fail the whole thing and you basically like slowly kind of scare them into (laughs) being like what do I do about this it was something that was not my favorite way to share it's still probably not the way I'd recommend today but not only that I I grew up during a time where the evangelism tracks were very very popular if you don't know what those are they were some form of material that had the a basic gospel message and a prayer that you could pray at the bottom and I was a pretty big fan of these not because I was all that bold in sharing my faith but because they had certain ones that you could trick people with they had ones that looked like dollar bills. Not very well, but they, they were actually million dollar bills is what they were. And it looked kind of like a dollar bill. On the other side, it had the gospel message and a prayer. And you could accidentally drop that and walk away. And someone who's like, ooh, a dollar, <laughs> would pick it up and probably throw it back down if we're honest. One of my favorite ones, it actually looked like a wallet. And you could bend it a certain way to where it looked like a wallet that was kind of full. And you could, as you're walking around, drop it and walk away. Now, your hope was someone wouldn't be honest and be like, oh, sir, you dropped your wallet. (laughs) Then you'd have to be like, oh, that actually happened to me. I was at the fair and I was walking around with these and and I was doing my duty to share the gospel. That That was my mindset. And I had these little wallet tracks and I dropped one and someone was like, oh, sir, I think you dropped your wallet. And I was like, oh, no, that's not mine. And I tried getting away and they were insistent. They're like, I'm pretty sure... That's your wallet. And I pulled out my actual wallet. I'm like, oh no, this is me. And I I ran off. (laughs) Another soul saved for the gospel. I grew up around a lot of these things because in my mind, evangelism was an obligation. It was something that every good Christian had to do. And I really hated doing it. And I'm not saying I'm all that great at it now, but, but my mindset has changed. And in fact, one of the things that changed it was I actually got to see how someone who didn't know Jesus responded when they got a track. So when I worked at Starbucks, there was a time they knew I was Christian. They knew not only was I a previously homeschooled Christian kid, but also I was a previously homeschooled Christian kid, kid going to Bible college. Needless to say, I was not the most popular person there. And I worked the drive-thru, and there was a tip jar there, and one time I clocked in and I look, and a lot of my coworkers are huddled around the tip jar and kind of asking questions. And I go over there, and they're looking, and there is a gospel track. 
And it's one of the ones that it had this little shiny strip and it said, if you hold your thumb on here and if you're a good person, it'll turn green. (laughs) And then it had a thing on the back. It's like, surprise, it didn't turn green because you're not a good person. But here's the gospel. Like that's kind of the message of it, okay? And it's one of those things, again, you drop it, you leave it and hope that something happens because of it. Could God use that as a seed planted? Absolutely. Has it probably made the impact that some people thought? Probably not. That, that's my guess there. But they were looking at this track and they were so confused and they saw that I came on. They knew I was Christian and they're like, Jacob, I think someone left this for you. <laughs> Evangelism is challenging to say the least. It's something that we can feel very, very awkward with. Uh, Actually, just about a month ago, I I got to take some of our students to the Winter Jam concert. If you haven't gotten to go, I would highly recommend it. I hope we can take a big group to it next year. It's 10 bands, $15. It is a blast. And actually, some of our families got to come up as well. And during the concert, there was something I noticed. We were on the the third level. Down on the first level, down to our left, there was a sectioned-off area for people who needed sign language. And every now and then, just because I get distracted easily, I'd watch the band, and then I'd look over, and I'd see how the, the young lady doing sign language was communicating. And it was, it's always cool to see, because they're not just doing the words, but they try and put the energy and the attitude of the song behind it, in their facial expressions, in the energy, all of it. And it's always so cool to see. But one of the things that stood out to me with that was that no matter how good that young lady was at communicating in sign language. No matter how well she knew the song, no matter how much she spent time with the band, her performance paled in comparison to the band's. And that's not me saying anything against her skill or anything. It's just a reality. No one, even at their best when doing sign language, can mimic the instruments, the hours and hours of energy put into writing the message of of the song and everything like that because those things can tend to get lost in translation. Even though they're communicating the message, they're not the band themselves. And I say that for this reason. We can get discouraged in evangelism. Because I don't know about you, Pastor Andy shared some of his personal stories of opportunities he had that he missed. Or opportunities that he had that he tried and maybe failed. Has anyone here had those kinds of moments? And we can easily get discouraged thinking, I have failed and beat ourselves up. And yet I want to call us back to a statement that Pastor Andy made last week. It's not us who save people. It is Christ and Christ alone. The best we can do is point to the one who saves. And there will be days where the gospel gets lost in translation, not because it's not powerful, but because we fail. And that doesn't mean we give up. It means that we regroup, we learn from our mistakes, and we try again. Our goal in this point, that's why I've titled this sermon, Lost in Translation. Our goal is that as we know the gospel and seek to live it, We have to remember, we're not the ones that save, but we point to the one who saves. The best we can do is try and communicate it well. And that comes uh, in a long journey of knowing and growing in Christ. We're right in the middle of our Love Like Jesus series, where we're talking about what it looks like to fulfill Jesus' command. After he rose from the grave, he gave the command to his disciples and to the church, go and make disciples. 
Jesus himself said the greatest commandment is to love God, and the second is to love people. We've been looking at Peter's words to the church from 1 Peter 3.15. And last week, Pastor Andy shared that it starts off that we need to know Jesus ourselves. We need to know what we believe. It's more than just this blind faith, like I hope it's true. But it's investigating. It's seeking the truth and following it where it leads. Trusting that God is faithful. In that verse, Peter says, set apart Christ as Lord. And that means that Jesus is above all else in our lives. And from that, sharing him will naturally overflow. Paul actually echoes this idea from Galatians 2.20 when he says this, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I love that phrase, it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Another way he says that, Philippians chapter 1, he says to live is Christ. He's not added on to your life. He doesn't just get your Sundays and maybe your morning prayer time. He is your life. That's what it looks like to set apart Christ as Lord in your life. I think of the story of Archimedes. Archimedes is given credit for discovering the formula of measuring buoyancy of objects when submerged in water. I had to read that. As you can tell, that's about as much as I know about that discovery. Uh, If you want to know more about that topic, Jeff can probably tell you more. That's just my guess. Sorry if I'm throwing you under the bus, Jeff. Um, But there's a story, and a lot of people agree it's probably more fiction than fact, about kind of when he discovered this. It says that Archimedes was reflecting while taking a bath. And he was hit with sudden inspiration. And he jumps out and runs through the streets naked. And he's yelling, Eureka! Eureka! Which means, I've found it. And I've always enjoyed that story because it shows the undignified and unashamed joy of someone who has found what they've been searching for. To set apart Christ as Lord in our lives, or to make him holy in our lives means that people will see that he matters most to us. Peter teaches us that sharing Christ comes from the joy of having him, not from a forced obligation. Now there's so much going on in Peter's letter to the church that, we could, uh, that I wish we could unpack. But that would have to be for a series where we look at the whole letter. But one thing needs to be emphasized, and it's this. Peter is writing to encourage and challenge believers as they're experiencing pressure for standing out. This is how Dr. Whitaker, he was actually a professor at Boise Bible College. So full full disclosure for our Adventures in Odyssey people, his name is John Whitaker. But his middle name's not Avery. I'm sorry. And I, I actually asked him, and he, he gets it a lot, <laughs> which is kind of funny. But this is how he puts it in his commentary. He says, From reading the letter, it's clear the Christians are experiencing varying degrees of discrimination, marginalization, and social hardship for their faith in Jesus. To be clear, it's not empire-sponsored persecution, which will come later but growing dislike and suspicion that led to all sorts of social mistreatment. They're struggling, being marginalized, ostracized, insulted, and threatened. Peter writes to show them how to live and honor God under such circumstances. Knowing the context 
Does the situation Peter's writing to sound familiar? Not quite to the point where Christians have to hide because of their faith, but to the point where being Christian publicly is uncomfortable. To be Christian publicly makes you a reject. To be Christian publicly impacts your social life, your finances. In Roman times, Jews and Christians were actually called atheists because they believed in one God. (laughs) And that was considered weird. To live for Christ means that you will stand out. The church is under pressure because of their allegiance to Christ. Peter is writing to ensure that they strive to live out life with Christ in such a way that even while under pressure, the message does not get lost in translation. In fact, Peter emphasizes the difference that Christians are marked by by addressing the church as foreigners and exiles and aliens. He tells them to be holy in all of their behavior and to continue to strive to do good. And with that last one, he encourages them to live out the life of good, doing what is right. And then he poses this question. He says, after all, isn't it better to suffer for doing good than for doing evil? We might not like that question, but he makes a good point. We have to keep these things in mind as we read our main text. Let's go ahead and read it this morning. But in your hearts, set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. Now as stated before, Pastor Andy shared with us about the beginning of this verse. As people who claim Christ as Lord, we need to know what we believe. We need to know our story. I love that he referenced the the blind man from John chapter 9, who there the religious leaders, they're like, just tell us Jesus didn't do it, right? He's got to be a sinner. He didn't do this great thing. And the guy's like, whether or not he's a sinner, I couldn't tell you. All I know is I was blind and now I can see. And last time I checked, mere sinners couldn't do that. I love that because his story was far more powerful than, well, if you look at Isaiah you can see that the Messiah would be able to do these miracles and it seems like that kind of matches up with this Jesus. No, he just tells his story. Without Jesus, I was blind and now I can see. That had more power than any kind of other proofs that he had. Not that he shouldn't look at that, but his story had, more powerful, had a more powerful effect than just stating facts. And then finally, Pastor Andy also said to be ready As people who claim Christ as Lord, we need to know what we believe, to know our story and be ready to share. We're now getting to the part of the verse that complicates things. We talk about people. Take any situation, throw people into the mix, and you now have a complicated and complex situation. I think all of our introverts in the room just said a very silent amen. I originally wanted to phrase this point by saying people are the problem, but I thought that could come off the wrong way. But as we look at this aspect of the verse, our first point is one that Peter assumes in here. He doesn't state it outright. And maybe it goes without saying, but just to make sure that we're all on the same page, our first point, it's pretty simple, but we need to understand it. We need to understand that people who do not know Christ, they're lost. 
Peter makes it clear that people will ask about the hope that we have in Christ. As people watch believers who are under pressure, they will look at your life and see that somehow you're still holding it together, not because of your own power, but because of something else, and they will ask about the hope that you have. Paul actually presents this point in Romans 10. In verse 13, he says that he who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And then he presents a problem. We actually looked at this in our evangelism series for youth group. He says, how will they call if they have not believed? And how will they believe if they've not heard? And how are they going to hear if no one tells them? And how will someone tell them unless someone goes? Paul makes it clear the problem is not just the fact that people don't know. But instead, the problem is that there are people who don't know while people also know. The responsibility of sharing good news falls on the ones who have it. This is not just pastors or missionaries, but anyone who claims Jesus as Lord. Paul also makes this statement, 1 Timothy 2.4. He says, God desires for all people to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. This means that people are lost and God does not want, want them to remain that way. Jesus took this far enough to even ask for forgiveness for the very people who, was, who were mocking him and crucifying him. People are lost and God wants them to come to know and follow him. As people who believe and set apart Christ as Lord of their lives, this also means that we need to be bothered by the things that bother God. If the fact that people don't know him bothers God, what does that say about his followers? If we claim Christ as Lord, then we cannot look at people who are lost in this world and think, not my problem. We must be bothered by the fact that people are lost. And maybe for some of us, this is where we need to start. Maybe if we're honest with ourselves, we might find it difficult to have compassion for the lost. I mean, just trying to take care of myself seems hard enough. If we find ourselves struggling with compassion, let's have an honest dialogue with God. If you don't know what to pray, maybe echo the words of Bob Pierce. He was actually the founder of World Vision, and he said this. He said, let my heart be broken with the things that break the heart of God. Now, songwriters have actually taken this and boiled it down to break my heart for what breaks yours. Let me be able to look at this world through the eyes of God. Look at people through the compassionate heart of God. One of my favorite stories from Jesus' life, it's after he finds out that his cousin, John the Baptist, has been killed, and he goes off by himself with his disciples, and they intentionally go away to find rest. And it says the crowds don't leave him alone. They come and they find him, and it says that he looks out at the crowds and he mutters, and he's like, are you kidding me right now? Can't I just have one moment to myself? No, he looks at them, and it says that he has compassion. In a very trying and a very hurtful time of Jesus' life, he's able to look out at people who are lost, and it specifically says he looks at them as sheep without a shepherd. I know if I were in that moment, <laughs> compassion would not be my first response, if I were to be honest. And yet my prayer has to be, Lord, let that be my first response because it was yours. 
As people who know and believe, we cannot share our faith without being bothered by the fact that there are people who do not know. It's that knowledge that moves us from thinking it's just an obligation to it being something that we have to do because if they don't know, we understand what's on the line. Being bothered that there are people who are lost moves evangelism from an obligation to a natural conversation. Evangelism starts with knowing and being bothered by the fact that people are lost. This leads to our next point. People are watching. That sounds a little creepy, right? But not only that, they will ask questions as well. And this is maybe where we get a little nervous. If we look back at our main text, Peter says, when they ask. Not if, but when. It's assumed that people will ask about the hope that we have because of Christ. This is because living with Christ, made holy in our lives, set apart in our lives, will cause us to stand out. Remember that Peter uses the illustration of being foreigners. To live with Christ at the center of our lives means that we will stand out like someone who's not from here. I've been blessed with different opportunities to travel to some fun and interesting places. And there are, if I'm honest, there have been times where even in the U.S. I've felt like a foreigner. But the, the experience that probably stands out the most to me was when I got to go to Swaziland, Africa. I was an intern at a church in Colorado, and I was presented with an opportunity to go support a medical mission team there and also help teach at a school. And we were helping with building the staff housing for the medical mission team. So we get there and we are introduced to the couple that started the mission group there. And the husband, after he meets us, he goes into this immediate list of like, here are all the things that could kill you here. Watch out. It's like, look out for these snakes. Look out for all these things. I'm not a snake person to begin with. But when he lists all of them and he's kind of like, be sure to like look out even when you're doing things like going to the bathroom. I'm like, okay, cool. How long are we here for? Like that was kind of my response. And so we're helping uh, rebuild these kind of abandoned housing areas to make sure that they're actually fit for staff to live in. And we're like reaching into ceiling panels that haven't been touched for a while. And he's kind of like, don't go waving your hand around in there unless you feel confident like Paul when he got bit by the snake and through. Like just, if you don't want that situation, be very careful. And there was a moment where I was kind of walking away and, and gingerly moving around some of the areas that aren't walked around. And he's watching me. He's like, what's your problem? I was like, I'm, I'm just being careful. You never know what you run into. He's like, please, I've been here 18 plus years and I have not accidentally encountered a single one of those snakes. I was like, then why are you warning me about them in the first place? And I was like, I, at that point, I was like, I don't know if I can fully trust everything this guy's saying. So we got to go to a local church service there and I was really excited and we were going to have kind of a meet and greet time afterwards. And he said, okay, so here's something you need to know about shaking hands. It's not like an American handshake where you go, you shake and you're done. He says it's a little bit different. And he showed us, he said, first, and this is where I was kind of skeptical. He's like, first, you put your hand here. So like, that's a sign of respect. If you put it here, you're saying I'm going to stab you. I was like, okay, that seems a little too far. But I'm going to do this either way. So you do this and he says, you shake and then you move and you grasp their thumb like this and then you go back and then you're done. And we practiced it. I was like, okay. And, and we did that and then we have our meet and greet time and I go and I go in for a handshake and no matter how much I trained, everything that I knew about handshaking in Africa went out the window. I went and shook his hand like, a, like an American. 
grabbed his hand, shook, let go, and he's still kind of holding on because he's expecting more, and he's awkwardly holding my hand for a little while, and we make eye contact, which is even worse. And I kind of like get him to let go, and he gives me this look like, thanks for nothing, and kind of walked away. And it was very, very awkward. But in that moment, I knew what it was like to stand out as a foreigner, and that's the, that's the example I always think of when I read text that says that we are foreigners and exiles in this world. That we stand out enough to where even, even when it's awkward, it's for the good of the world because it's Christ in us. We are different. We stand out. We might be considered weird or even disliked in this world. That's what it means to be foreigners. That's why people are watching because to follow Christ is contrary to following the ways of this world. To live for Christ means that we live a life that stands out and people will watch. As we experience a life under pressure from being a follower of Jesus, people are watching to see how we respond. What will they do when they experience heartache and loss? What will they do when they experience stress or anger? What will they do when they're falsely accused? Or, let's go ahead and bring this a little closer to home. What will they do when they're behind a slow driver? What will they do when world or national events don't happen the way they want them to? What are they saying on their social media pages? What are they doing when they think no one is watching? This is why Paul commands this in his closing words to the church in Colossae. He says, be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Every moment. Live with Christ on display. People, for better or for worse, will take notes on what it means to be a Christian by watching those who claim to follow him. That's kind of a scary thought. This is why Paul says, make the most of every opportunity. Before we even get the chance to share the gospel, are we living with Christ on display in our lives? If we claim that our lives belong to him, will they see that in how we live out each day? Now, of course, no one's going to perfectly model what it means to follow Jesus. Again, sometimes it can get lost in translation, but when we fail, we can continually point to Christ and say, that's why I need him. He's not done with me yet. This is why Peter's emphasis is in this letter has been for the church to be a people that seeks to live good lives. Because when people see employees and employers who are honest, diligent, and compassion, marriages that are forgiving, sacrificial, and faithful, and citizens that are loving, even towards those they disagree with, serving and committed, and all of these things under the banner of Christ as Lord, people will ask, What do they have that I don't? Where do they find their hope? We live in a world where people are lost even if they don't think they are and are desperately searching for hope. Our call is to live lives that point people to Christ before we even say a word. Our call is to point to the one who is the only one who can provide that hope that people need. It's a hope that lasts, even while experiencing the pressures of this world. This leads to the final point. When people ask, we have to remember that people are not the enemy. Now, I know that sounds weird, 
But we can easily treat evangelism like it's a battle rather than a relational conversation. This is why Peter urges that these conversations are to be held with gentleness and respect. This flows from that compassion we talked about earlier that we receive from keeping Christ at the center of our lives. When we start sharing our faith, we have to make sure that our goal is not to win an argument, but rather to show the love and wisdom of Christ. Paul's letter to Titus shows us this when he gives this final command. And I actually, I'm curious Okay, you can kind of read that from there, okay? He says this, Remind the people to be subject to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready to do whatever is good. That sounds familiar. To slander no one, to be peaceable and considerate, and always to be gentle toward everyone. At one time, we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of righteous things that we had done, but because of his mercy, he saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit. Paul reminds Titus and the church that the only difference between us and unbelievers is Christ in our life. It's not how good we are or how smart we are but it's only Jesus that makes the difference. I love the statement where he says, at one point, we too were foolish. Remembering where you came from, that without Christ, we have nothing. When we remember this, it enables us to engage the conversation, even if the people are difficult, or if they live differently than we do, or even if they are the ones who are applying the pressure in our lives. We engage in evangelism with them in gentleness and respect because of Christ in us and his desire for all people to come to him. While we do have an enemy that tries to fight against the truth of Jesus, people are not it. This is where we need to remember Paul's reminder to the church in Ephesus. He says that Satan is the one at work in the sons of disobedience in those who do not believe. When we identify the real enemy, we are able to clearly see that people who do not Christ are captives. They're not the adversary. When we remember that people are lost, that they're watching and they will ask questions, and that they are not the enemy, we will be able to engage in the conversation of faith far better than just throwing facts at them. As believers, we have to live with Christ on display. Is he our hope? Do we run to him when times are difficult. People need the hope and life that Jesus brings. Is that hope on display in your life? In one of my classes at Boise Bible College, the teacher was actually teaching on what it looked like to live the Christian life. And he started by asking this question. He says, if you squeeze a tube of toothpaste, toothpaste, not plural, what comes out? To which everyone responds, toothpaste. He followed up by asking, if you squeeze a Christian, what comes out? Now, I thought I was funny and I said, blood. (laughs) That wasn't the answer he was looking for. He then proceeded to explain that people, when put under pressure, show where their hope is. If put under pressure, do they run to their money? 
Do they run to their relationships? Do they run to their status or whatever it might be? Or do they run to the one who only provides the true hope? Do they run to Jesus? When people see that Christians, when under pressure, put their hope and faith in the only one who will last through all these circumstances, they will see where true hope is found. When we live with Christ on display, people will be drawn in. Are we ready to explain the hope that we have? This is not an instant process either. There was a story that I heard from a pastor. His name's Brian Loritz. He's a phenomenal communicator, and he's very passionate about sharing with those who are lost. And he shares a story. They were at a son's, one of their son's basketball games, and there's a lesbian couple there who has a son in the game. And afterwards, they're driving home, and he says, I think God wants us to get to know them. Not to try and change them, but to love them and show them Jesus. So they invite them over and they begin to have good conversation and good meals together. And, and over the months, they begin to build a relationship. And as the months progress, this pastor is praying one thing. He says, Lord, let them not ask what I do for a living. <laughs> and sure enough, after many months, they're like, you know what, Brian, we realize that we've been eating together and spending time together for a while and, and we don't know what you do. What, what do you do for work? And he's like, well, I, I'm a pastor. I get to tell people how they can find hope and life in Jesus Christ. Immediately, one of the ladies gets up and she says, I did not see that coming. And she, she starts to try and leave and he's able to break the tension and call her back. And he says that we're able to laugh and, and get to know each other more. And later on, fast forward, and he gets a call from one of them. And they're like, Brian, we've realized our son does not have a good male role model in his life. And we would like for that to be used. So we actually, this sounds kind of creepy, but just bear with us. We actually sold our house and moved into to a house just down the street from yours. And we're going to have an open house, and we'd love for you to come and pray a blessing over the house. These ladies are proclaimed atheists. He says that he goes and, and that he and his wife are the only straight couple at this open house. And sure enough, there are pictures being taken and one of the, the sweet ladies at his church calls and says, I was just on Facebook and I saw you were tagged in a picture with, with a bunch of people who are homosexuals. The Jesus I know would never do something like that. To which he said, I, I think you need to get to know Jesus a little better. But then eventually, they call him up and they say, hey, our, our five-year anniversary is coming up and we would love to have you help us renew our vows. And he cringes and he's like, I, I know I can't do that. And he's praying and he's like, Lord, give me wisdom on how to respond to this well. And he, he calls him and he says, I, I'm honored, but I have to tell you I can't do that. And thankfully, they're able to say, we, we didn't think you could. We just thought we'd ask I got to hear him tell this story later on as their relationship progressed and he said that he got to baptize their son. And eventually the son starts coming to church and the moms start coming to church with him. And that's about as far as the story has progressed right now in his relationship with them. But it shows that this living with Christ on display, it's not something that is an instant process. And in fact, we'll probably be very, very uncomfortable as people are watching. As we get to know them and show them what it looks like to live with Christ on display. And yet it is so incredibly worth it. 
remember that the responsibility to tell those who do not know falls on the ones who know. And this doesn't mean that you're going to know everything or that you're going to be perfect at it, but rather that you just show what it looks like to try and faithfully follow Jesus. There are people who don't know, and we have to ask ourselves, do we see this as a problem? And what are we going to do about it? If I can give us any kind of encouragement here, here's some quick application points. The first one, begin with prayer. We have those prayer cards. They're just bookmarks with 10 slots for names. If you didn't get one last week, or if you need more as you're thinking of more names, we have more available. Or if you don't have 10 names, write down, write down the ones that you do have. And just begin, the, the goal is to pray for those names every day. When, uh, whatever time works for you. And if you find yourself missing a day, don't beat yourself up, don't act like you failed, just do your best. That's all we're asking here. Because as you pray for them, one, you're going to see that God's going to work on your heart towards them, but also he's going to provide opportunities to share and to get to know them and to build a relationship with them. Maybe we need to start again with that prayer, Lord, break my heart for what breaks yours. The second point, maybe, is to live, let your life be a witness. Again, live with Christ on display. This means that if we claim Christ as Lord of our lives, that we reflect that statement. If people were given a window into how we lived our life day to day, what would they see? Would they see that Christ is the one that is most important? The next one, be relational. Build relationships. Invite them into your space, even if it makes you uncomfortable. Get to know the people, and you'll stop seeing them as a problem. You'll stop seeing them as people who just need to stop sinning, and rather as people to be loved. And finally, remember that when you are given an opportunity, an opportunity to share, be sure it's a conversation. Be sure it's a dialogue, not a monologue. Don't just say words at them, but talk with them. One of the things I encourage with the youth group is even if they ask a question you don't know, don't try and fake it. That, that's a quick way to end a conversation, but instead just say, I don't know, but I'd love to look that up with you. It's amazing what can happen when you invite someone to learn about Jesus with you, when you walk alongside with them. That's what we call discipleship. When it comes to evangelism and how to share your faith, everyone has their own way of doing it. We could spend hours looking at different strategies that we can employ, but here's what I'd recommend, starting with remember the mission, people are lost. Be real. Is your life reflecting what you say you believe because people are watching and they will ask? And finally, be mindful. Remember that people are not the enemy, but they're the ones who need saving. Live a life that puts Christ on display. Will you pray with me? Jesus, thank you for the hope that we have because of you. I pray that you give us boldness where we need to engage in conversation. Help us honestly look at our lives and see, are you actually our Lord? Do we actually honor you in our life? If there's anything we need to remove, give us the boldness to remove it. God, if there's people that we need to start inviting into our lives, if there's people that have come to mind, Lord, help us start by praying for them and engaging that conversation. Lord, help us live with compassion. 
the same compassion that you have. A desire for all people to come to know a knowledge of the truth. Thank you for the truth. Thank you for life. We pray this all in your name. Amen. As you go out this week, I hope that this is something that can challenge but also encourage you. It's not something you have to do, but it's something we get to do as well. If you'd like to talk more about this, Pastor Andy and I would love to talk with you about it. Don't forget to grab one of those bookmarks on your way out. I believe it's on that table right there in the middle there. You guys are dismissed.